Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here today for a one-service celebration. I'm really excited about today, and not just because the kids are downstairs instead of in the room with us. We love having the kids with us, and we'll do that again, but um, I I think it'll be nice for us to be able to have this service together. Just what a great time of worship, and I'm so excited for the message that we're going to get into today today. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if you're wondering why we all have these crazy name badges on, it's not because everyone who has one of these is a visitor, just so you know, as you look around. uh, Most of us that have these have probably been coming here for a little while, although I know some of you are new and already diving into the name tag thing. So thanks for doing that. We're in the middle of a series right now where we're talking all about relationships. And one of the most important starting points of a relationship is to know each other's name. And so that's why we have these kiosks all over the church where you can just punch in the last four digits of your phone number. And if you're in our system, it'll spit you out a name tag like this. If you wanna get one of those, you can just have one of the people that are there helping get you plugged into our system. We're asking some pretty important questions in this series about relationships. What is my relationship with God supposed to look like? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, How are we supposed to relate to one another? What's that relationship supposed to look like with each other? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. And then we really wanna dive into how do we have um, deep relationships with people? How do we get connected with one another in a way that actually goes beyond the surface level? Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I really struggle with how do we get beneath that layer where it's just kind of the small talk, talking about what we can see and the weather and all those sorts of things. I'm sure you have those conversations. And, and there are times where that's appropriate and where that's good, but there are other times where we really wanna go below the surface and we wanna have deep, close friends and people who really know us well. Is it hard for anybody here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but is it hard for you to, to find and and have good, close friends. Like you just want somebody who knows you well and understands you and, and knows your struggles and is willing to walk through life with you. And maybe you have that, but I'm sure a lot of us here don't. And so that's one of the things we're gonna really focus on for the next couple of weeks here. A few weeks ago, we said that God wants a close, trusting relationship with us. It's what he wants from us. The God of the universe wants to have this close, intimate friendship with us. And if you weren't here for those earlier messages, I would really encourage you to go back and watch them online because these all build on each other. In fact, I was talking with someone just before the service about how the message from two weeks ago, if you were here for that, is really gonna help you understand what we talk about today. It'll give you more information about that. But what God wants with you is a close, trusting, intimate, personal friendship with you. But he doesn't stop there because he also wants you to have that relationship with other people. He doesn't just want you to have that relationship with him, he wants you to have that relationship with others. When he created Adam and Eve, he didn't look at Adam, well first with Adam, when he created Adam, he didn't look at Adam and say, okay, that's it, I'm all he'll ever need. What did God say? It's not good for him to be alone. But he wasn't alone. God was there with him, so what did God mean? He didn't mean I'm gonna be all he ever needs, he actually meant he needs more like him. He needs relationships with other people, not just with me. It's one of the most amazing things about God is that he didn't just create us for relationship with him. He created us also for relationship with each other. And we need other people who know us and understand us and have deep relationships with us. It's what God designed us for. You and I need those deep relationships in our lives. People that we can really trust people who can hold us accountable, people who we can walk through life with in the good times and the bad. So for the rest of this series, that's what we're going to talk about. 
We're gonna talk about how to have and what look like deep relationships in our lives. There are two questions in particular that I wanna talk about. One is what should deep relationships look like? What does a good, healthy, biblically-based deep relationship look like? And the second question is, how can I form those deep relationships? How do I get from here where I feel alone and don't have anybody close to me like that, there's nobody that I trust in that way, to having some deep relationships with people that we can really be vulnerable with each other? Today we're just going to talk about the first question, what should a deep relationship look like? And I was going to try to do more today, and as I was studying this week, I realized that it was just too much to fit into one service And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to take what I was going to do today, which is both of these questions, and we're going to split this up. And so today, we're going to talk about what deep relationships look like according to the Bible. Next week, John is going to be speaking about our groups and how to find community in our church because the answer to so many of the questions we've been looking at when it comes to relationships with each other is answered by our groups here at the church. So if you're not a part of one of those, we want to get you to be a part of one of those. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to take a very practical look at deep relationships, how to get them. So today is all about what do they look like, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at how do we actually get there. There are some patterns and some steps that you can walk through that were actually outlined for us by Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And so if you are someone that is wrestling with loneliness and wrestling with the feeling of not having people who are close to you, and maybe waiting around for those relationships to just kind of form and just happen in your lives, then in a couple of weeks, you're going to want to be here to learn the patterns that Jesus walked through to form deep relationships and how we can do that too. What we were going to cover in our last week of this series in a couple of weeks is our relationship with people outside of the church. And so instead of trying to cover that now, we have a whole series that we did on this a year ago called How to Neighbor. And so I think this is important enough that we're going to spend more time on this than I originally planned, but that's okay. We're going to be flexible, and if you want to know more about how do we relate to people outside of the church, outside of of our faith in Jesus, go back online. The whole series is available for you. Look up How to Neighbor. So that's all the, the qualification stuff at the beginning. Now we're going to get into the actual message, and as we do this, I wonder if you would bow your heads with me and pray and just ask God to teach us about relationships this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to gather here, uh, for the great time we had at breakfast this morning, for those who were able to come to that, and and then to be able to worship you with our singing and with our giving. And now, Lord, we we worship you by looking at your word. And today we're going to study what your word has to say about deep relationships and what these ought to look like. And so I pray that you would help each one of us here to pull out some principles that are going to apply to our relationships with other people. Maybe it's because we don't have deep relationships and we need to know what to look for. Maybe it's because we do have some, but they're unhealthy, or we need to evaluate them and see what can we do to make them stronger and better. You have given us so much information, God, in the, in the Bible about how we are supposed to relate to each other. Help us to take this and use it to obey what you have commanded, to show that we love you by how we love others. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's my opening line for this message, okay? You gotta have a good killer opening line. You've probably heard this before. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. How many of you heard that before? 
If you aim for nothing, you will hit it every time. So one time I was out shooting shotguns with some friends and we were shooting clay pigeons. It's a thing called five stand. Anybody know what five stand is? We have these different stands that you go on. It's a whole game where you're shooting clays that are coming from all different directions. You know, they simulate like a rabbit and a bird and all these other things. And it was, um, it was supposed to be a really fun, enjoyable experience, but it wasn't very fun for me because I'm a pretty competitive person and I was hitting about 25% of my shots which wasn't very good. Um, that, was, that was really, really, really bad. And I realized toward the end of the first round, the reason I was shooting so poorly is because I didn't have my glasses or contacts on. And so what was uh, actually a target like this to me looked like this. And so I was shooting all around it and missing most of the time. And as soon as I put my glasses on, suddenly I was able to see the target very clearly. It was well-defined. It's like, oh wow, that isn't just a fuzzy, blurry object. It's actually got a crisp lines to it, and then I could hit the thing. If you aim for nothing, you will hit it every time. And we need to understand, as we're talking about deep relationships and our target here, what we're aiming for is deep relationships, we need to understand what that target looks like. What we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks are some very powerful steps that you can walk through to form deep relationships. And those deep relationships can be really healthy or they can be really unhealthy. In fact, the reason why I think it's so good that we're gonna do this at the very end of the series is there's a whole lot of stuff that we need to talk about first before we get into the practical nuts and bolts of how do you go deep with someone? How do you walk through that progression? There's some patterns that you can follow there, but if you do that and you wind up with an unhealthy relationship, what good is it? It's gonna have the wrong impact on your life. So we need to define the target this morning. What does it look like to have a deep relationship with another human being that honors God and follows biblical principles? Let's make sure we understand what that target looks like that we are aiming for. If you have some really great deep relationships right now, and that's awesome if you do, then what today may be for you is a bit of a relationship audit. And you may ask yourself as we talk through some things in the Bible, what it has to say about our relationships, you may ask yourself, where do I need to grow and improve in the relationships I already have? Uh, but I've been here long enough to know that there are a lot of people here who do struggle with loneliness and feeling like they don't have deep relationships with other people. They don't have that kind of closeness. And so this for you might be a target of what to look for. What kind of relationship as I'm trying to get close to people do I really want to develop? What does the Bible have to say about that? So we're just gonna talk through several points. We're gonna be in different parts of the Bible, so I'm gonna put it up on the screens for you. Of course, it's also available at efree.org. If you wanna follow along there, you can follow along in your Bibles as well if you want. But the first thing that I wanna share with you is that when it comes to deep relationships, you need to be selective. It's important to be selective in your deeper relationships, to not just allow anyone to get to that level. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the relationship circles of Jesus. If you analyze the life of Jesus and the relationships he had, you will find these circles of relationships in his life. And we talked about that two weeks ago. You can go back and watch that message if you want to know this in more detail. We'll cover it a little bit more in another two weeks and walk through this a little bit more. In each of these circles though, what you need to know for today is that in each of these circles, you have a limited amount of relational connectors. There are a limited amount in each of these circles of the people that you can have plugged in there before it just becomes too much and they're not even part of that inner circle anymore. The people that you can connect with, that you can be close with. In the transparent circle right here, where there's kind of three dots there, 
There, there might be one or two or three or four people that can be in that circle before it's just too much for you to actually have that level of closeness to them. For Jesus, this was Peter, James, and John. Those were the three people that were really, really close to him more than anybody else. He took them aside and taught them more and showed them more and let them be a part of his life in a greater depth than any of his other followers. No one else had the kind of access that Peter, James, and John had. There's not a lot of room for connectors in these inner circles. You've got the transparent circle, which is really close. You've got the personal circle where you're good friends with people. Maybe not your best friends, but you're good friends. You can maybe handle 10 to 20 people. And this is not scientific here. This is not to say, well, the max you can ever put in there is 20. It depends on your personality and your upbringing and, and just you as a person, how you're wired and how God made you. The important thing to take away is that there are a limited number of connectors that you have in your inner circles. And there's some important implications that come from that. The people in your inner circles are the people that you trust the most. They're the people that you listen to the most. They're the people you spend the most time with, which means they're also the people who influence you the most. The people you allow to be in these close inner circles, especially that transparent and personal circle, have the most influence on your life. And if you aren't selective with who gets to be in those circles, they can lead you down a path that is very hard to get back from. This is why in Proverbs 13, 20, we read this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That word walk, it doesn't literally mean about a walk. It doesn't mean you should go walking with people who are wise, although that's not a bad idea. The word walk in the Bible refers to your lifestyle. Who do you spend the most time with? Who do you allow to have that closeness with you that you're living life together with this person? If you're living life together most of the time with people who are dragging you down, then that is gonna drag you down with people who are encouraging you to do the wrong things, with people who are foolish, who are not wise in what they're doing. If you spend a lot of time with those people, then you are going to start to become like them. I once heard a pastor put it this way, you will become the average of your 10 best friends. And I think there's some truth in that. Who you allow to be close with you is going to influence you. And as sociologists look at this, they can tell an awful lot about what you're going to become by who you're spending time with now. So we need to be selective in our inner circles. That's a biblical concept. When I was younger, I loved playing sports and I was very competitive. And I noticed one time that when I was playing a team or a person, depending on the sport, who was not very skilled, I became very lazy. I got sloppy. I just sort of did just what I had to do to beat them. But when I was playing someone who was really, really good or who was better than I was, all of a sudden I got hyper-focused. It's like just being around that person and playing against that person made me a better player. And I got better and better and better over time, not by playing people who were worse than me at it, but by playing people who were better than me. So my level of game would rise to the occasion. That's the type of thing that happens with us in life. All of us, if you want to talk about the game of life, are playing with other people around us. And those people around us partially determine how well we do. If there are people that are lazy and not taking things seriously or taking us down paths of sin, things that we should not be involved with, then those are things that we're going to follow after as well. If there are people that lift us up and encourage us to do the right things, they're good people to be around. What happens to you in life and the type of person you become is more impacted by the people you hang out with than we probably realize. 
So 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 15 says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good behavior. Bad company, the people you hang out with. If your close friends bring you down, they probably shouldn't stay your close friends. Now that doesn't mean that you have to put them out of your life. This is why it's so important to understand relationship circles. Sometimes we get this idea with our friends that it's all or nothing. Either you're a really good friend or you're dead to me. And that is not what Jesus modeled for us. He had different circles of relationships. And there are some people who may be in your inner circle right now who because of the way they're living and their lifestyle and the things they're listening to and allowing to influence them and the influence they're having on you, they may need to be bumped out a circle. Doesn't mean you say, forget it, I'm never gonna see you again. But they may actually need to move out a circle. Uh, I used to do a lot of counseling for, for different people and sometimes it was people who were in and out of prison. And so they were involved in gangs and drugs and um, one of the interesting things was what I learned is if I could get these people to be away from their old friends, they had a much higher chance of success after they got out of prison. And when there was someone that I was working with who I would find out had gone back to their old ways and I would talk with them, you know what they would tell me almost every single time? Well, I was lonely and I was bored, so I called up my old buddy and we started hanging out and then we started doing some of that stuff again. Every single time, it came back to who their friends were. And if we could get them to change their cell phone number and change who they were meeting with and, and just hold some people at arm's length and spend more time with people that were lifting them up, it made all the difference in the world for them to recover from the life that they were on. One of the most important decisions you make is who you allow to be in those inner circles. So be selective. It's a biblical thing to do. The second principle comes from Galatians chapter six. This is Galatians 6, one. Paul is writing and he says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, there's a really important assumption that's being made here by Paul. He's assuming something in this, and I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. Let me just clarify what he's talking about. Paul is saying that he wants us to be in relationships where we can gently and humbly correct each other, get each other onto the right path again, point out each other's sinful behaviors, make sure that we stay away from them. He wants us in relationships that allow us to help carry each other's burdens so that we're not going through this alone. And there's an important assumption that he is making here, which is that we need to be in deep relationships because you cannot do this really for everyone around you. I can't do this for all of you. You all can't do this for me, but I can do this for a few. I can do this for people that I know really well. Because unless I know them really well, I may not be able to spot the sin that they are in, the struggle that they have right now. If I'm not involved in their life, I may not see that to be able to gently and humbly help them. And if I don't walk closely in life with people, then I may not know what their burdens are to even be able to help carry them. And so there's an assumption that's being made here that is we have to be in deep relationships with each other. And not only do we have to be in those deep relationships, but in order for us to know these things, to help each other with these things, those relationships have to be authentic and vulnerable. We have to be willing to get authentic and vulnerable with other people. 
there's a good chance that there are many people in this room right now and watching online who are involved in some kind of habitual, inappropriate sin. And by the way, all sin is inappropriate. I didn't really need to add that. Just habitual sin, something inappropriate. And the tragic thing is that while there are probably many people in this room and watching online for whom that is true, probably in many cases, no one else knows. Because no one is close enough to you to know what that struggle is. You haven't allowed anyone to see the real you, to get vulnerable about the struggles that you are facing in life. And so while God knows exactly what's going on, the way God designed these things to be worked out is that we would be involved in each other's lives and deep relationships so that we would know each other well enough that when these things happen, we can gently and humbly help people onto the right path. And we can carry each other's burdens. But if no one truly knows you, if there's no one that you are really vulnerable with, that you feel like you can be real with and authentic with, where you've developed that level of trust, then who is going to do Galatians 6, 1, and 2. Who can do that unless they truly know you and have a close relationship with you? We need to be carrying each other's burdens. That means we need to be spending time together, getting to know each other, being real with each other, not putting up all kinds of walls to make it look like we have the perfect life. And that doesn't mean you have to do that with everyone. This is your close, deep relationships. Hebrews 3.13 says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. We need to be in each other's lives so that we can warn each other when we see something, when we see a person who is headed down the wrong path, we have the relational capital built up, the trust built up that we can say to that person, hey, I, I don't know, man, what I'm seeing right now looks like it's going this way and I don't think you should go that way. I just want to raise the flag and say, hey, I, I, is there a problem here? Is there something we need to talk about? If we don't have that kind of relationship with each other, that kind of trust, when is that going to happen? And so we live in a, in a culture where we get so isolated from each other, and the church is no different. We get so isolated from each other and trying to put up this smoke screen of having the perfect life that we don't actually know when there's a problem with someone else. And so how on earth are we ever to accomplish what the Bible is talking about? Warn each other gently and humbly correct each other, help them back on the right path, carry each other's burdens that can only happen if we have close, deep relationships where we know each other well. There's another principle about deep relationships. It comes from Proverbs 27. I'll give you the principle first and then the verse. Deep relationships refine rough edges. They refine rough edges. We need to remember this. Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Have you ever experienced kisses from an enemy? Have you ever, I don't mean literally, maybe. Jesus did. Have you ever experienced the flattery of someone who in person tells you that they love you and that they're to support you and they're your friend and they just sort of puff you up and then behind your back they lie about you to other people? That's what he's talking about here. The kisses of an enemy. It's a false praise or a false love or a false friendship when really there's something else behind all of that. You don't want to spend much time with people like that. Don't let those people into your inner circles. It doesn't mean you completely cut them off necessarily, but they should not be in your inner circles. 
Listen, when a friend, a good, close, deep friend spots a problem in your life, they will talk with you about it privately and humbly and gently try to get you onto the right path. They won't go talk about it with a bunch of other people. The wounds of a friend, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? I'd love to actually have a demonstration up here. What happens when iron sharpens iron is that sparks fly. And this is an important principle we need to understand in our deep relationships is there will be times when a friend confronts you or you confront a friend and it's done in love as best as possible and it's with gentleness and with humility and yet there is still some tension there. There are some sparks that fly. There are some issues that come up. That's going to happen. That's a part of life. Don't be surprised if it hurts a little. But understand that these deep relationships that are healthy and centered on Jesus, they're going to refine your rough edges. They're going to rub up against some things that maybe need to be worked on or tweaked a little bit. You need to evaluate. You know, when we get married or when we have a really close relationship with someone, it's like a mirror that's kind of put in front of us. And all of a sudden we see all these blemishes we didn't see before. But we have to understand that is part of having a deep relationship. See, there are some people who when they finally get into a deep relationship, they let it all slip away because sometime that one person talks to them about something and they didn't appreciate it and they say, I'm not gonna spend time with that person anymore. And if that individual meant that to be the wound of a friend, meant that to be a, hey, I care about you, I love you, I'm not doing this because I wanna manipulate you, I'm not doing this because I want something from you, I'm doing this because I care about you, then we need to understand there are gonna be some sparks and some tension in our deep relationships and that's okay. We can actually learn to embrace that and appreciate that. There's a, a story written down from hundreds and hundreds of years ago of these two Jewish rabbis who would fight against each other all the time And they had very different views on theology and different interpretations of of the law and how they should follow these things. And it just so happened that at one time as they were both getting older, one of these men who from a public perspective were just always at each other's throats with their disagreements, one of these men passed away. And the other one wrote, and this is true, this is not just a, a, a fable, this is a true story. One of these men wrote after the fact, I have lost my best friend. I have lost the person who sharpened me and did more to help me grow than anyone else. Now, they didn't always look like they had a great relationship. But you and I can understand that when we have deep relationships, there are going to be some sparks. There's going to be some tension at times, and that is okay. If they mean it from the right place, if they've got the right motivation, then we can understand these are the wounds of a friend, not the kisses of an enemy. Something else a deep relationship can do for us like nothing else, is to help us through difficult times. Deep relationships help us through difficult times. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. A friend that is loyal, that will stick with you in difficult times. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You know, you don't get to pick the family that you're born into, do you? Now, I know some of you wish you could, but you don't get to pick who your siblings are, who your parents are, or any of that, but you have an incredible amount of control over who your friends are. You get to control who is in those inner circles. So pick people who will stick with you when times get tough, when things don't go so well for you. That means that they're not friends of convenience. Sometimes we get confused into thinking that people are a good friend when really they just want something from us. 
Maybe we have some resources and if they stick around us and they flatter us at the right times, they can get some stuff that they want. Or maybe we have some position or influence and they want to leverage that and so they manipulate us to try to get something they want out of it. Or maybe you have some popularity where if they hang around you and as long as you're popular, then they kind of look popular too. They're your friend. What happens when all that stuff goes away? When there's no resources, there's no influence, there's no position, there's no popularity. If those friends just kind of fade away, if they're not so friendly anymore, then they're not a true friend. They're not a friend that's willing to stick with you even when there's nothing more to be gained for them from your relationship. Paul talks about this when he was in prison in Rome. He was writing to Timothy and he, he said to Timothy, as you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Even Fugelus and Hermogenes, those are hard names to say and I probably didn't do them well. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. So what is Paul saying here? Here are two guys, Fugelos and Hermogenes, who were supposed to be close friends. They were supposed to stick around. I'm surprised, I'm shocked. You can sense the hurt here that these guys did not stick around. But there's this one guy, Onesiphorus, and his family who visited and encouraged me He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't a fair weather friend. He didn't just run away when times got tough. In fact, here's what he did. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. That's a good, deep relationship. A friend who is willing to stick by you when there's nothing more to be gained from it. Let's be clear here. Not everyone can be that for you, and you can't be that for everyone, but you can be that for a few. And a few can be that for you. So deep relationships need to be selective. They need to be authentic and vulnerable. Deep friends, they're going to refine our rough edges. They're going to help us through difficult times. But it's also important to understand that these are not perfect people. None of you are perfect people. And so none of you can be perfect friends to other people. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do dumb things. They're going to hurt you at times. What do we do with that? Proverbs 19.11 says sensible people control their, their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Deep relationships can overlook offenses. That word for overlooking, overlooking wrongs or overlooking offenses, what it literally means is to pass over something. It's like you approached a puddle and you just decided instead of walking around, I'm just gonna jump over this thing and not even look back. Or it's the word that you would use if a runner is running and there's a hurdle in front of them, they just hurdle over it and they keep on running. They don't even have to look back at it. It's just something that you pass over. You just sort of run over. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What this means is we're not supposed to hold grudges against other people. We're not supposed to hold on to bitterness that we have against other people. As we get into deep relationships, the deeper that relationship goes, the more there is a chance for that person to do something that's going to really wound you and really hurt you. And whether it was right or wrong doesn't matter when it comes to you and your reaction to that and your bitterness and your holding a grudge. Someone once said that being bitter against someone and holding on to that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It really hurts you more than anyone else. Now let's talk about the balancing principle. Because forgiving people for their wrongs doesn't necessarily mean they get to stay in your inner circle. It doesn't mean they get to continue to be your close friend. 
If they do this again and again, then principle one comes into play and you need to be selective. And there are certain people that need to be bumped out a circle or two or more if they have shown that time and again they betray your trust. But you are still able to forgive them and not hold bitterness against them and maybe even let them back in if they prove themselves to be trustworthy again. But just know that there are gonna be times where you're going to need to overlook an offense of other people because you've allowed them so close that at some point they're going to hurt you. Also, overlooking offenses doesn't mean you don't deal with them. Jesus, in Matthew 18, gave principles for what you're supposed to do when someone sins against you, how you're supposed to approach them and talk with them about it. And if you can at all, you try to work it out. So deep relationships overlook offenses, but that doesn't mean they don't deal with sins that are committed against you. You need to be willing to talk about those things with other people. But understand that people who you allow close, they're going to hurt you at times, but it is well worth it for what you get in the end. There's one more thing the Bible says that we should do for each other, and this is very true in our deep relationships. We should do this anyway, but in our deep relationships, we have got to do this. Deep relationships push each other to love more and do more good. People are really, really effective at pushing other people to do things. You know this if you're a parent, and your kid just nags you again and again and again. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I actually had a little boy tell me at one point recently, I know that if I say it this number of times, my mom's gonna go ahead and do it. I remember being a kid watching cartoons and these commercials would come on for all these really, really cool toys. And these toys were, were amazing. I mean, we all wanted these toys. They're incredible. And you know, this is back before the internet. You couldn't skip any ads. So you're just sort of watching the whole commercials and just thinking, man, I want my parents to get me that. That would be awesome. You know what I never saw in one of these commercials? I never once heard a commercial for one of these kids' toys say, parents, think about getting your kids this for Christmas. They never addressed the parents. It was always just right at the kids. You know what I never heard these ads say? I never heard these ads say, kids, ask your parents if you can do more chores to earn money to buy these toys. <laughs> never happened. Because these commercials weren't aimed at the parents and they certainly weren't aimed at teaching responsibility to the kids. What happened was, decades ago, marketers did millions of dollars of research and involved thousands of people in studies Studies like they would have you to keep a journal as a parent of how many times your kid asked you for something and then if you actually ended up buying it for them. They did a lot of research to find out how effective can we make kids at nagging their parents to get them something. And the answer was nine, in case you're wondering. It's nine times. If a kid nags a parent nine times, then that parent's gonna go buy them that toy. And the only reason I'm sharing this with you is because the kids are downstairs. I know this is dangerous, sensitive material. Here's the lesson. What influences people the most is other people. We have a lot more influence on each other than we realize. You have a lot more influence on your close relationships, your friendships, than you realize. And that can be a bad thing and that can be a good thing. And I wonder if you knew that the Bible says one of your jobs as a close friend of other people is to push them to love more and do more good. That is one of the things the Bible says you are supposed to do as a friend of other people. Let me show you where it is. This is Hebrews 10, 24. Let us think of ways 
to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, what I love about this is the psychology behind it. Because he does not say, let us think of ways to be more loving and do more good works. He's not addressing this at the person who is going to do those things. He's addressing this at those of us who are going to influence those things to be done. You catch the difference there? Let us think of ways. That's brainstorming. Let us brainstorm ways to motivate one another. This is us influencing other people to be more loving and do more good. So what influence are you having on your close relationships, on your friendships? How are you pushing them, encouraging them, challenging them to be more loving and do more good? What influence do your deep relationships have on you? The people you've allowed into those inner circles, are they influencing you to be more loving and do more good? Or maybe they're doing the opposite of that. And in that case, maybe they need to get bumped out a circle because they're not having this positive influence on you. How often do we actually sit down and do this? Many times I will sit down and I will brainstorm. I like to whiteboard, I like to draw, I like to do different things to try to figure out what I'm gonna do. I love brainstorming. But it's not very often that we sit down and brainstorm, think of ways to motivate other people to be more loving and do more good. This is one of the things I love about groups. Small groups do a great job of this. Mid-sized groups do as well, but small groups is where this really thrives because you get to know each other really well. I have a great small group that I'm a part of and we will get together and talk about what we're trying to learn in and grow in and we encourage each other and we're praying for each other throughout the week that we would be more loving and do more good. We're talking about how we're trying to grow and how we're trying to improve and it's not unusual to get a notification from somebody that they're praying for you that day. And that they're praying you'll be able to do the things that you have said you want to do. We're encouraging each other, pushing each other to be more loving and do more good. The real challenge for us oftentimes is not in knowing what to do that's loving and good. It's having the motivation to do it. We need deep friends in our lives who know what's going on, know what our opportunities are even, know what we're thinking about for the future and can say that would be a great thing to do. Or what if you did this? What if you did this with your wife? What if you did that with your husband? What if you did this for your kids or your friends? What if you did this for your coworkers? Hey, here's an idea. How about you try this? That's how we think of ways to motivate each other, to love more and do more good. We all need deep relationships in our lives. Relationships that are selective in the inner circles, relationships where we can be authentic and vulnerable with each other, relationships where we refine each other's rough edges, where we help each other through difficult times, where we can overlook offenses and where we push each other to be more loving and do more good. And that leaves us with one question, which is how do we get relationships like that? How do we get to the point where we have those people in our lives and we are that for other people, where we have that kind of trust built up? Next week, John is gonna talk about how we do this in our church through groups and through community here. And so you'll wanna be there for that. And the week after that, we're gonna wrap up this series by talking about the pattern and the steps that you can take that Jesus modeled for us and Paul modeled for us so that we can see how do we develop these kinds of relationships, the steps we take to form deep relationships in our lives that will do this for us and we can do this for others. Let me pray for you and then we're gonna take communion together. God, thank you for giving us your word and for teaching it teaching us through it how to have the kind of deep relationships that you want us to have. And God, it's amazing 
that you would model for us while you were here the way to have deep relationships and what they should look like. Because of all people, you could have just snapped your fingers and made them happen, but you wanted to demonstrate it for us. You wanted us to follow your example. So Lord, help us to do that. With everything we've learned today about what a deep relationship ought to look like, I pray that this would be a time for us to think about the people we've allowed into our inner circles and to give some serious thought to what kind of influence they're having on us and what kind of influence we're having on them. How are we contributing to being more loving and doing more good and motivating each other? How are we being there for each other? How are we watching out for each other, warning each other as there's a need, being open and vulnerable and transparent with each other, Lord? Help us to have those kinds of deep relationships. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.